Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Visit fergusonshowrooms.com to shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to meet with our experts at your local Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery. Together, we'll help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in. Get started on your project and discover extraordinary products like the Pro Grand Range by Thermador. I got to see my people suited and booted. I got to see my people with um, more than a fifth grade education language, you know, like more than just, you know, hey, yo, bitch, uh, what's up, ho? You know, I got to see hey, La Mama, more than... Hey, holla at you real quick. I'm saying, I'm saying. Yeah, what's up, little mama? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the environment that's that I... in your neighborhood? Hey, yo, bitch. Dog. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Dog. Yo, where'd you grow up? Did you grow up with DMX? I grew up in East Nashville. You know? <laughs> hey, yo, bitch. Right. Hey, yo, bitch. Welcome to the TMF Podcast, where we have too many feelings. I'm your host, T. Staples, and I'm joined today by... Shemaine Man Freddie B., the Super Bowl predictor. Oh, I see. <laughs> You're going to hold on to that one. All right, and uh, yes. all the way to St. Paul, who we got? What it do? It's your girl, Lana Boo. And she's booed up today, Alana. Go ahead Damn. and introduce your co-host. Oh, my goodness. I get to introduce this guy. He's the most amazing, loving, caring, supportive, wonderful man, God-fearing, just overall amazing individual put on this earth. And I get to call him my husband. His name, ladies and gentlemen, Sean William Parker. Mr. Parker, how you doing? Man, I'm loving life. And, And with that introduction, how could I not? I mean, I mean, hey, heart stars and horseshoes, clovers and blue moons, you know, <laughs> pots of gold and rainbows. Lucky, lucky, lucky charms. <laughs> I'm just saying. Magically delicious. <laughs> right. I, that's, I, I was going to get to that part. <laughs> you know what well, I'm Listen, well, for all, all y'all at home, we'll bring you all these feelings from the comforts of our homes. That's right. 100% remote. So if you feel our show, show us how you feel by subscribing. We need that subscription, y'all, so you can get notified of the new episodes when they drop. Hey, and if you like what you hear, send us a message. Our handles are in the description below. We love to know how you feel. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about PWIs versus HBCUs. Who gets you better prepared? Ooh. But first, it's time for a moment I like to call the internet never lost. <laughs> In my intent to navigate through the endless insanity of interconnectivity that we all call the Internet, I find myself having this moment of, you know, missing home. You know, you get that, that, that homesick feeling sometimes, but but not my actual house. Right. Not my not my where I was born and raised. At. This homesick feeling is kind of like my HBCU home. That's right. I, I am a, a proud attendee, a proud attendee of an HBCU, the Tennessee State University. And so I decided, let me go down and. See what they're doing down in the land of golden sunshine. By the Cumberland's Fertile Shore, that is. And as I am looking down into the land, I, I see that the, the Tennessee State Alumni uh, Association has some good little footage they're putting out. And I discover this interesting clip, uh, which is now, the, for me, the spawn of my interest in what's going on in the land of PWIs versus HBCUs. So, Parkers, Freddie B., Y'all sit back and listen to this right here. We're going to have a discussion today. We actually discovered uh, the original law from 1913, which described how the federal 
allocation was going to be divided. And in that state law, uh, I have a copy of it here. Uh, it describes that uh, UT's allocation will go straight to UT, but Tennessee State's allocation uh, went to the state treasurer first and then Tennessee State. And let me pause here and make something also very clear to everybody. This is not a UT versus TSU thing. All right. This this is not an institution of higher education versus another one, a UT versus TSU. This is two land grants that work together you know, and they, they work cooperatively. But one was giving more funding than the other. And also, let me say this. This is not just a Tennessee thing, even though we're focused on Tennessee State because we're graduates of TSU. This is happening and has happened all across the nation. If you look uh, at any 1890 land grant, you'll discover that none of them have received their state match uh, since their inception. So this is a, a broader conversation to, to be held about, you know, what it looks like to fully fund these institutions. And also understand that, you know, these dollars that that were used to fulfill the waiver request, again, think about that. Every time there's a hundred thousand or a million dollars that did not that that went to fulfilling the state's match request, that's a million dollars that could have gone towards scholarships to building maintenance and other things. For example, um, there are some 1862 land grants that individually have a larger endowment than all the 1890 land grants combined. Mm. Uh, there's some 1862 land grants that have a billion dollars of an endowment, and the endowment of all the 1890 land grants only comes to about 740 million because they kept getting their, their match and their money. Now, uh, here's the problem. Uh, Tennessee State's records only go back to, to 2000. Uh, they don't go back that far because they don't have those budget books. So uh, one day I just embarked upon going up to the state archives uh, in our building here at Cordell Hall in the legislative library. And I just began writing down um, every allotment that, gave, that went to UT. And when I saw Tennessee State was not in the budget book, then I realized that TSU did not get their, their state match that year. Where do we even begin to understand why all of this is happening? Of course, we can give, um, you know, lots of credit to racism and we can give lots of credit to people just absolutely not caring um, about Tennessee State. Um, but, you know, to to hear how um, the the government in in so many ways has tried to keep Tennessee State under the thumb of oppression all those years or all these years, really. Um, it's astounding. Things just weren't right with Tennessee State and they weren't going to be right until we got to the bottom of this. Every year I kept coming back asking for more money and I kept getting denied. They said, well, look, we're just going to form a committee to fully investigate how much Tennessee State has been denied by the state of Tennessee. And then we're going to go and, uh, and um, you know, find a way to cure that. So I want to give that, that background. I know it's a lot to digest. Um, but believe me, um, it, it's worth it, particularly when you know that a report was written in 1970 that tried to stop the bleeding 50 years ago, and, and their recommendations were not heeded then. Hmm. Wow. Okay, for all my audience out there, you know, you heard some of that. We're going to talk about it a little bit more, PWIs versus HBCUs. Do you feel your alma mater, if you went to school, that is, now, you know, not to alienate nobody, but if you, if you have an alma mater that you claim, do you feel your alma mater prepared you for your life and career? And how do you propose we level the playing field in the future when it comes to monies that are given to PWIs and HBCUs?
This has been yours truly in this week's edition of The Internet Never Lost. <laughs> I don't want to laugh at that. It ain't funny. Let's fix it, y'all. Send us a message. Our handles are in the description below. Let us know how you feel. Alana Boo, Sean, Freddie B. Yo. Wow. Did y'all hear that? But shout out yeah. to Her- Representative Harold Love for putting that together and actually actually doing that research and, and, and fighting for his alma mater, Tennessee State University, to get their just due from the government. How do y'all feel about that Internet Never Lost clip? I mean, y'all just, you know, free form. Let me know. I mean, ugh, ugh. I get the chills thinking about how they just take and take. They just find new ways. Every time, we just we just keep discovering new ways. White folks take it from us. To keep us down. Finding new ways to keep us down. Um, I mean, it's not. I can't say I'm surprised. You know, uh, with of course us being on campus, like when you when you're a student, a college student, and you have people that you went to high school with, and you know they go to different institutions. Um, they may have gone to. I had a couple of classmates who went to like a UT, um, a PWI, and when you go visit their campus versus you know what it was like on our campus at, at Tennessee State, one thing that really stuck out that he said was, you know, the the funding that we could have used or that that belonged to us that we never got goes to you know stuff like scholarships and yes. uh, building maintenance yes and being on campus that building maintenance oh my goodness oh. Uh, I, I do remember a, a few cold showers in here oh my god <laughs> <laughs> a few cold showers uh in in the winter time unfortunately um Mm-mm. you know and that's that's all funding um that you know should have been allotted to us but that has been held back from us and you i mean you can't help but that might, what what justification is there for it you know what i'm saying so you can only rely on items like she said in in our line of questioning like racism and oppression and things like that um because what other just justification would you have for that right mm. Mm. yeah man yeah i mean it's it's you know you always you always got to follow the money you always gotta follow you got the money, to. Man. and uh, the money will tell you, you know where what's what's happening. You follow the trail, and you know that that's always been my thing, just overall with just the whole you know racism part of everything. Um, is black people needing to have that though that undergirding that foundation to where we can you know it's like telling you know you know racist people tell black people you know you need you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know mm-hmm. my thing is always you know we, we you know. We gotta get the bootstraps. You know what I mean? Like, you know, white, white people have been given, yeah, they, yeah, white people have been given boots, bootstraps, and the little hooks to pull the bootstraps up with. Right. It's like, you know, we we don't even get the boots, and and so you know that that's always been my thing. You know, you you see these even now with the whole fallout from last year and all the protests, companies putting, you know, we care at the top of they at the top of their websites, and you know, we gonna donate money uh, to this restaurant, and we gonna give money, give money there. And my thing is is about opportunity more so than just giving handouts you know the handouts are cool and they're they're fine but also you know more importantly it's the it's the resources the Mm -hmm. opportunity so that we can create like for example uh movies and stuff um so you know to 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 bring it back to this this subject um the the colleges the hbcus getting that funding so that you can have all these resources at the school so black kids and then especially when black kids going to see schools you going and you seeing this nice place like black athletes they go to hbcus and be like this look like my, this look a little bit better than my high school 
stuff, you know, or it looked the same. But then you go to right. Alabama, you go to Texas, like God Ooh. dang, they got they got PlayStations everywhere. Like I, I, you know, when well, you said a bit school, let's, let's just talk about something like um, Campbell University. That's the name of the school. The school. Oh yeah, just, okay. let's, let's talk about Campbell University. Okay. Like that's not even a huge like like you said, Texas, Alabama. That's even even them. They had their own sports facility just for the athletes. You know what I mean? So they can live and eat and stay in their ecosystem and never have to be kind of tainted by the other campus. You know what I mean? Like mingling with the other campus. The rest of the campus, they got that whole thing isolated. Or UT Knoxville, same thing. They got their whole athletic department set up like where it's just this immaculate thing. Where you go to HBCUs, it's like, well, you know, the stadium might still be working or intact or they may need to get some repairs. Or, or, well, I mean, or, at most at, at most uh, colleges and universities, uh, you know, in the United States, the athletic department is what, um, you know, drives the mm-hmm. revenue for the school. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um you know, when a school wins a national championship, the uh, enrollment uh, the next year normally increases by double digit percent um, yep. because, uh, you know, incoming students, they want to be associated with winners. So, you know, you're going to see year over year, you're going to see the Alabamas and the UCLA's and the Stanford's, these schools, Ohio that, States, Ohio Clemson's. States, these schools that are you know, that are heavily driven by uh, athletics, um, you're going to see them, uh, you're going to see them just, they're going to grow bigger. Um, my alma mater, I went to a HWCU. Um, you will University. not. Oh, no, he did. I went to a PWI. I oh, did. oh I know. no, I he did. did. No, no, I didn't. You're going to take that. our name. That man, it took everything. They took jazz from us. They took everything. Rock and roll. I apologize. I apologize. I went to a PWI. I went to the University of Maryland at College Park. Okay, and uh, from the time the that, terrapins, the terrapins, the terrapins, yes, the time from the time that I was there, uh, you know, once I left, uh, they won uh, national championships in several sports. They had because uh, their largest um, athletic booster is the CEO of Under Armour. Uh, he was a former player. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. was Strunk, right? Uh, Kevin Plank. Kevin Plank, Plank. Plank. Yep. Oh, not strong. Plank, yeah. Uh, well, you had the K right. You know, it's, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, but he, <laughs> he, uh, he has dumped millions and millions of dollars into the athletic program. And, uh, you know, they, they uh, built a new uh, – well, they actually gutted the old Cole Fieldhouse, the old basketball arena, and they turned that into a new football uh, facility. Um, so they're investing heavily uh, into uh, the athletic program and as a result they've gotten additional money additional additional enrollment uh into the university as a whole they have increased the tuition uh they want to they call themselves the stanford of the east because Mm. they're trying to they're trying to achieve that goal and i mean every time i go on you know the last couple of times i went on campus before i moved up here, I mean, there was construction everywhere. Like, I got lost in the student union, and I used to work in the student union, and I couldn't find my way around because there was so much construction. So, uh, you know, even at a school like Maryland, who traditionally hasn't been that school that, you know, went, I mean, they haven't won a national championship in football since 1953. So, but they are still successful in a lot of their other programs, uh, and it just, you know, raises the profile for the whole university. I mean, right now, I couldn't go to Maryland if I wanted to. I wouldn't qualify academically or and or I wouldn't have been able to afford it. Um, so, you know, these schools, it's an arms race. 
with a lot of these schools. Um, but the thing is, taking it back to you know our conversation, when you set the system up, you know how to exploit it. Yeah. So the the system that's in place, um, you know, it was it was put in place by um, you know the presidents and and chancellors of of the predominantly white universities. So they're going to know how to exploit it and get the most out of it. And yeah. unfortunately, who's going to suffer? The little guy is going to suffer. And in this case, who's the little guy? The HBCU. And I think the the, the biggest problem is is that with a lot of these things, we have not done the studies that needed to be done because the study that representative Harold love did is very revealing. It's very revealing, but, yeah. but like, I'm, I just, let me just be straight up with you. Freddie B. Did you know about that? Did you know that there was a difference between 1890 and 1862 land grant institutions? The majority of the 1860, the 1862 ones were PWIs and the 1890 ones were HBCUs. Like we don't know this information, right? Until somebody brings it to the forefront to somebody does a study because you just automatically assuming, well, Tennessee State University, a land grant university, a land grant, a college and university uh, should be getting its 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 money from the states, you know, every year for whatever it raises. You get a match based on this this particular law. Who's dub who's double checking this stuff? You know what I mean? Because the students, it should it be the students responsibility. I mean, is it the faculty's responsibility? Is it the administration's? At what point? Where does it break down? And at what point are we missing the mark in our community? And we're not raising the proper flags because we do raise flags. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of calls for reparations, right? We all, uh, this last presidential run that just passed, a lot of people saying, hey, we got, hey, we need reparations. We need reparations. We need something. Come on now. You know, Joe Biden, you get in there now. You need to put us in your plan. There's a lot of calls from it for it. But sometimes it's like, how do we properly investigate these things? And, in my in my estimation, I don't know how far this investigation is going to go of, you know, PWIs versus HBCUs and, and the monies they receive from the state, how far that's going to go, because I've I have I have literally been let down by the government in the past so many times, you know, H.R. Uh, 40. I don't know if you guys know about that bill, Bill H.R. 40, which was which has been presented since the 90s on the floor of the Senate and rejected. You know, uh, 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 it's been rejected since the 90s. It's all it's calling for is the study of reparations for African Americans in, 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 you know, in America. It, they want to know, okay, what if there is a thing? Let's just study and find out what would that thing be. You know what I mean? Who would that thing go to? We can't even get that past to study it because they know if you start to study it, things like what Representative Love brings out comes out. Mm-hmm. Oh snap! UT been getting their money since their inception, but. Tennessee State hasn't? Well, I mean, not to get, you know, political, but we all know that there's a certain uh, segment of the legislature that doesn't want things like that to come to light. They don't want, uh, you know, they don't want minorities, uh, in particular African-Americans, to gain um, a level of equal status and equal power and equal representation. Because if we get a sniff of that, in their mind, that means that we are going to come out and vote, and we are going to vote many of this uh, this particular group of people. We're going to vote them out of office. So it's all about, at the end of the day, it's all about holding on to power. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the uh, oh, even not, the acknowledgement, the acknowledgement that you did something wrong, right? Not even acknowledging, that acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, they, not they, acknowledging they, stuff, not yeah. bringing stuff to the floor. It's all about trying to save face and trying to save power. 
But who are we saving face from? This is what I'm I'm still not understanding about. Even it's like, okay, so say it's about white versus black, right? Let's just just make it like easy. Say it's about white versus black. At some point in time, you have to recognize that what are you doing, what you're doing to keep yourself propped up is actually keeping yourself in a position where you really can't thrive because somebody's always going to be at your back versus teaming up. Okay, we all Americans. We teaming up. Can't no country get to us now. You get what but I'm you saying? Know what, but you know what? It, it I, is. I, I'll say this. I'll say this real quick. It's, it's that white people, if black people start becoming equal, they feel like black people are going to do the white people what they've done to us all these years. They're like, yeah, oh, man, it's a fear. they get equal, yeah. it's a fear of retribution. They think mm-hmm. that black people in our hearts want to do to to them what they did to us all these years, lynch and castigators, all that type of stuff, which obviously that's not true, but they fear that because that's what's in their heart. I mean, look at the look at, at the the establishment and I'm trying I'm trying to uh, to avoid saying Republicans. But I mean, this is pretty much what it is. So follow me on this with the establishment. Who are the two people in government over the last 10 or 15 years that they have been scared of the most that they have been trying to discredit? the most over the last 10 or 15 years two people in government the republican government oh yeah. oh and who are the two people that they seem to have an obsession over over the last 10 or 15 years hillary clinton hillary clinton and uh, uh yeah, you got me i don't know Pelosi? our first obama? our first black president uh, but, barack yeah, obama, obama. Okay. oh that's right and that's what do those two people represent they represent african-americans and women they are scared to death of those two um you know representing that retribution factor Mm -hmm. if obama gets in office they were afraid of the retribution of african-americans again that they were going to do everything to us uh to, to them that you know they did to us and the same thing with hillary clinton trying to get in office with women they're terrified of i guarantee you that all of this stuff is going on right now wait until kamala harris at vanderbilt health we know it's one thing to know the pulse of our patients it's another to know the pulse of an entire community for years vanderbilt health has been a part of rutherford county caring for children and adults with treatments technologies and services that only we can offer it's care that's provided by over 1500 of our employees who call rutherford county home we're making healthcare personal the house of roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures we've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen we strive for perfection every step of the way with all of this you'll see the details of your own story the story of a life well crafted this is the story Kraft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. Announces that she's going to run, whether it's in four years or eight years. You think that they came after her running for vice president. Just wait, because now she is the combination of both Obama and Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. in I, one. I, 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 I disagree. You disagree, disagree with that, though? And that's fine. Talk. Yeah, 
I disagree heavily um, because if if I don't know who remembers my because I tweeted my bold prediction last June, and then on one of our episodes I forgot how that was like season one. I said my bold prediction to where the next election twenty twenty four is going to be Kamala versus Candace Owens, head up for the presidency, black woman versus black woman. So our next election we gonna we gonna my bold prediction is we are gonna have a black woman as president. It's just is it Candace Owens or is it Kamala Harris? And so that that's why I first disagree, and I and I further disagree because I I don't think overall it's Democrat versus Republican. I think it's because you got because because Hillary and Bill they they passed they helped pass some of the worst laws to really gut black people in mass incarceration and really increase mass uh, mass incarceration with black folks because you know people people talk about the crime bill that um that Biden signed, but then also there's another bill that, that uh Clinton helped sign. Because uh, when when they when uh when Hillary Clinton pushed that super predator um um yeah uh adage, yeah. she's really pushing that. It was it's a I, cause I just bill. actually just read an article. It was, it was cause it was yeah the ninety six crime bill, but then you got a bill that was passed in nineteen ninety nine and um I forgot the name of it. Um I have to go back and look it up. But um I just read an article about it and that and that further increased mass incarceration amongst black people and then created the disparity of of uh the drug bill which included marijuana which a lot of people who a lot of black they, they talk about now because it's legal a lot of places but it's a lot of black people still locked up because of marijuana but then it's legal in a lot of states and people are becoming millionaires mm-hmm. off marijuana legally but then there's men still sitting in jail because of three strikes you're outlawed mm-hmm. things like that right because of that so that that's why i wouldn't say i i don't think it's Republican versus Democrat because the thing is is you got racist Democrats you got racist Republicans it's just the racist Republicans are more outwardly with it like southern uh, racism which Thomas and I we talk about all the time the difference between racism from the southeast because we both grew up in in Atlanta metro area and then being in Nashville and then now we live in New York and we interact with the northern racism Uh and the northern racism is is your democratic racism that's that that's that that's, that's what they call that diet racism but please don't please please understand that at, at the end of the day, what I'm saying that it's that at the end of the day, it's not about the racism. It's about who is the biggest threat to the power. And because and, and, and the reason why I said that is because um, women and minorities are the two biggest uh, groups that are gaining in terms of voting strength. And voting power. So it's all about the threat to the power, not necessarily be just because they're women or because they're black. Um, so that that's what I wasn't saying. It's whomever is a threat to their power. If it was a, another group of white people that was a threat to their power, they would turn their guns on it. That's all I'm saying is, is that they that is that um, that it's not about um you know, uh, trying to do what's best for the country or anything like that. It is about it is about holding and concentrating the power that they have, because if you have the power, you you have access to the money. And we all know at the end of the day, in a lot of instances, it's about the money. Well, see, the thing is, is that Sean's argument actually uh, coincides with your argument of Candace Owens and Kamala Harris for president. Because in my estimation, most people do not agree with Candace Owens' rhetoric. As smart as she is, as, as outspoken and, 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 and well-spoken as she is, uh, is, she seems very toxic and on the side of the power. You know, so it, it, even if so, even if you wrap up, uh, you know, white white power in a black woman's body. You know what I mean? It just because she's a black woman does not make it any more meaningful. See, it, it is, what's, what's interesting is is that that would get people voting 
because of how she looks and what she is and not who she is. You know, and I think that's the that's the that's the the thing that even Sean is saying there is that the power, as long as they can control, you know, they can keep the power. They don't care who they put up. They put a, a man in a rabbit right. suit up there. And see what and see with all of, with everything that is going on and and you know, um, uh, you know, Freddie B made his bold prediction. Here is my bold prediction: the Republicans bold are, prediction bold predictions. The Republicans are not going to. Uh, they're not going to nominate a black woman to run for president. They are going to nominate a centrist, a centrist Republican white man because they need their base. And that man is going to be, at that point, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan. He is a centrist. Wow, that's a bold prediction. He is a centrist. Okay, yeah, I was waiting for it to get bold. It got bold. Okay, you he's talking about when it's going to get bold. Okay. He is a centrist Republican, a two-term governor in a very Democratic state. Maryland is the second most Democratic state in the union behind Massachusetts. They elected this Republican twice uh, to the governor's mansion. He will be the Republican. You said Maryland is the second most. Most, second most, most state demo- in the country second the most demo- second most democratic leaning state like they're the second bluest more than state. california and new york yes yes are you sure we just have more yes. people for it you gotta remember new york yes. new york and california, california new york have more people but massachusetts and maryland in terms of their um uh voting record over the last I think it's thirty or forty years. I they it was like, are. I think it was half. They century. are the two bluest states. Years is a half century. I think they like, are the two bluest states in the nation. So yes, I, I believe that Mary, that uh, Larry Hogan will be the Republican nominee in twenty twenty four. Side note: Did, did y'all see Candace? Because I, so I said that, and then Candace the day after the Super Bowl, she tweeted that she was thinking about running for president. Did y'all see that? No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. like I'm, I'm, I'm killing with the predictions. It's, it's I mean, there's gonna be a amazing. lot. There's gonna be a lot amazing. of them. Let me tell you, there's something. gonna be a lot of Republicans running. But we gonna, we gonna see. It's on record. We it's on wax. You oh, said, yeah. you said, you said the Democratic governor, lieutenant governor of Maryland, Republican Hogan. governor of Maryland, Republican. My bad, Republican yeah. governor of Maryland, Hogan. Mm-hmm. And I said Candace Owens in 2024. That's cool. Hey, you know, hey, this is it, it is on wax. It is on wax. But I, I think like what, what Thomas said, yeah. I mean, I think I think yes, yeah, it's, it's the power. And um, like I said, I don't I think that it's not necessarily like they're attacking women, because then if you say women, that includes white and black women. And I think that um th- there's a distinct difference between white and black women because uh, we we've had this conversation on um on like I think probably I think it was like maybe our third or fourth episode back in season one about like the feminist movement mm-hmm. and even the LGBT movement now, you know, like white people co-opt these different movements and then they'll bring in black people to help right. really push it forward. Cause you know, black women going to hop in and, they, and once black women get, get to become the engine on something like it's going to go. Like we all know that once oh, black yeah. women hop in, it's time for business. It's time to move. It's time to shake. It's time to make things happen. And so everybody know that. So they know like, okay, with the feminist movement back in the sixties and seventies, like black households, we was good. It wasn't no power struggle. Black black men weren't holding black women down, saying you can't do this, that, and the third. Like, cause you go in the household everywhere. Big Mama was was running the house, and mm-hmm. the, and you know the man he go out get the money, and, he, and no black Big Mama was running the home. The black man was running the house, so it was a, it was a nice give and take. 
it was exactly. the white people white people joint that was having problems with the white man castigating the white woman the white woman wanted rights she went to the black woman was like hey look you need to get down because you need your rights black woman like we need our rights we do like yeah you need your rights like look how these men doing this like da 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 she like and then a lot of black women was like you know what we do need our rights and they started fighting and then blew up the black home and then if you notice if you look at d- black demographics, the, the the top of the 1980s is when black people just imploded everything, mm. everything. It, that's when the start of everything just imploded. Our wealth, our marriage rates, our you know our 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 um our households having two parents, drug rates, uh schooling, school to prison pipeline, like 80s decimated black people, and that was right after the the feminist movement. You know, they always say that the feminist movement wasn't the movement for black women, but they were used as a tool to help the movement along. Exactly. And like LGBT you said, movement. black women have so often been, black, black women have so often been the engine that made the car go. So that's very interesting that uh, those two phrases uh, came out of your rant there, Freddie B. Uh, you got a lot of feelings right there, Freddie B. We're going to have to put them on wax for another episode. <laughs> I feel it, man, because, you know, I, I, be, I be so mad seeing this stuff and black people be hopping in with the white folk. Like, okay, I'm going to hop in with the white folk. I'm going to win. Like, no, you won't get used. And once they accomplish what they want to accomplish, then you get sent back. Become to, a tool, to yeah. Room. So that, that, yeah. that kind of brings me back to the, today's topic then. Uh, PWIs versus HBCUs, which one, um, which one do you guys prefer? Or would you would you say... Uh, better prepares people for life and i'm i'm just be honest with you is it is the is it a case where black people going to pwis helps those pwis like position themselves to do the other things they want to do they can say oh look at our minority base we're meeting the numbers with our minorities here at our schools so you know we can get more funding or are we or is it a, a case where HBCUs really are not doing the work that they need to do to prepare their students, and therefore people are choosing PWIs. Are are these the things that you guys have seen uh, in, in your dealings? And I, I guess I want to start with uh, I start with Alana on this because I'm kind of curious. Alana, Alana, so y'all don't y'all y'all not y'all might know this. Alana Boo, she got Alana Boo as the name. She hold on to her hood fame, but the chick is smart. Okay, <laughs> don't 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 let the name fool you don't look at the nails i don't want Flax. you to be i don't want you to be tricked by none of this she was an honest student wait, i'm wait, calling you out say? i said, said facts you said facts oh facts facts this is okay. she is an I, honest I thought student. You said something. <laughs> the only reason why i even well I, well I got to know her because she was coming to school for engineering and decided to shift but she was smart enough to make the shift at a, at a good point in time where she did not really suffer uh, the penalty of time, but she was still able to graduate on time mm-hmm. with that. honors, all of that. So, so Alana Boo, say the same. Well, I can't. <laughs> neither can I. I can't say the same. But, Me but, 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 but Alana Boo, can you tell us? Okay, what do you think? Like, do you feel like at HBCU, you were you were prepared leaving uh, uh, your school? Yes, I do feel like um, that I was adequately prepared when I left my HBCU. And one of the arguments that is commonly made when it comes to PWI versus HBCU is it's like the most common argument is that HBCU does not prepare you for the real world because the real world is not, you know, a world of a whole bunch of other black folks when you go to your office or, you know, your Fortune 500 company that you work for or whatever the case may be. Um, And although that's accurate, it still does not reign true. Um, you know, I, I work in banking, so of course it's a predominantly white, you know, field and industry or whatever. And um, 
I don't feel any less prepared coming from an HBCU, you know, versus if I would have went to a PWI. Um, I feel like Tennessee State really prepared me for um, because in in the training that we got in the honors program, it was it wasn't just about you know oh we're you were competing against like the best of your same race. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So. Um, so it wasn't that we were just, oh, we were just chilling, just hanging out, you know, in the yard and stuff like that. No, we were at conferences, you know, at third, at the Thurgood Marshall conferences competing against the other best that just so happened to be black. Right. You know, um, so and when you get out of the actual university realm of it and you actually enter into the quote unquote real world, um, I feel like you're a little bit more prepared, in my opinion, um, because you were on equal you're already used to because like when I came from high school, I came from a you know really diverse high school, majority white. Um, we had some Hispanic, we had some um, Arabic, you know, and then we had, of course, um, some black people as well. And so I already came from a diverse world. I wanted to go somewhere where um, my race didn't matter. Basically, mm. when I walked out that door, I was just a woman. I right. wasn't a black woman. Right. So um, so that's something that, you know, that brought me comfort. It made it made me relax, you know, to feel like, whew, OK, now I don't have to always, you know, look over my shoulder or feel like when that professor made that snide remark, she was, you know, she was addressing it towards me because I'm the only black student in this class. Right. Um, so that kind of it kind of took a little bit of the pressure off going to HBCU. Um, Because, you know, I had experienced some of that in high school with, you know, like I said, it being a more so predominantly white high school. So just being able to take off my black label just for four years was Mm -hmm. like so refreshing and it was amazing. And then I got to see that, um, oh, my God, like there are some some fellow intelligent black you know um students that are attending these universities and they're they're like beyond you know top of their class they're you know they they speak so eloquently they you know it's 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 amazing the the shift in paradigm that i experienced because you know i'm a girl that grew up in the hood so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's easy to to only see what you're surrounded by so if i'm only surrounded by you know a bunch of guys that just sell you know um standing on a corner um you know selling their little weed and got their baggy pants and things like that and you know and the girls you know everybody's getting pregnant by 16 and nobody's you know by the time they graduate from high school nobody really has a plan Mm -hmm. you know there's no secondary education plans this is just oh i'm gonna go find me a little job i work at wendy's i work at somewhere you know like a fast food place or something like that um that's the environment that i was in so when i attended an hbcu i got to see my people elevated i got to see my people suited and booted i got to see my people with um more than a fifth grade education language you know like more than just you know hey yo bitch uh what's up ho you know yeah, i got yeah. to see more than hey, my hey, you, real yeah, quick. What's up, hey, mama, you. you know what i'm saying like that's the environment that's what that in I, your neighborhood hey yo bitch where'd you grow up i mean but you know that that's like that was that was my you know like reality i grew up in east nashville you know it wasn't it ain't what it ain't the East nice. Nashville it is right now. You know, the East Nashville right now is all mm-hmm. gentrified and shit. You know, it's it's all the white people then came back and then took, you know, then took their little houses and stuff. The housing market has 
like boons, you know, and because they're trying to ship us back out, you know, to the suburbs, to the, to the suburbs and stuff like that. And so it's been all gentrified and things like that. So it's not the East Nashville that it is now for those who are listening. They're like, oh, East Nashville is not that bad. No, it's so nice and wonderful so and nice. pleasant. And you see white women running around with their headphones on and stuff like no, no, not when I was growing up. So, um, so, you know, it's just I, I got to see a diff. I got to see my people in a different light and it changed my world. It told me that I can be better. I can do better. I can achieve things that no one that I grew up with even even had the idea of achieving because it mm. wasn't oh it wasn't in their surroundings. You know, a lot of times it's about your environment, you know, and what you're surrounded by. You know, I didn't know that you could live in a house without roaches. Like this this is how I, you know, that I grew wow. up. I didn't know you could live in a house with great water pressure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. So that's deep. So when you change your environment That's such a girl and, thing to say. I mean, <laughs> you gotta have good water pressure. Freddie B. Come on, Freddie. We know the water pressure is good. Uh, but I mean, but, but women say that because they gotta wash their hair. You gotta have some good pressure you to wash up in your oh, hair. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Yeah. What you're saying. I see. What you're saying. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So when I got you know to to Tennessee State and I got to see all this black excellence, you know, I was just my whole world opened up, my mind opened up, you know, and and the sky became the limit. Um. Mm. And so that's why I'm like, I'm, I'm pro, you know, HBCU amongst other reasons, you know, it's a nurturing environment. You have support, a supportive atmosphere and community. Uh, for me, it was affordable. I actually went, since I was an in-state student, I actually went on a, a full ride presidential scholarship. So, and with that, you know, you have to maintain a GPA of uh, no lower than 3.3.0. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I wasn't there to play. I wasn't there just for, you know, a common misconception. Oh, the people just go to HBCUs for their party life and, you know, and, and stuff like that because like homecomings are lit and things like that. But the party life was fun, though. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was lit. Okay, thank you. Yo, don't forget now. We were <laughs> there. Right. It was lit, but that's not why, you know, why I was there. You know, right. the overall culture and just like I said, just being able to take off that black label, even if it was just for a limited time only, mm. like the McRib, right. you know, come you, back every time. Ah. <laughs> you can every just season. take that off for a second and just be a human being <laughs> and not feel like, you know, at this point, we're on equal footing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like, okay, you're black, I'm black. So neither one of us can say that the professor had a, a racial, you know, uh, disagreement against one of us. Like, it, it is you're black, I'm black. Let now let's see intellectually, you know, who can who can take the cake on this topic that we're being presented with. Yeah. So um yeah, it was just it was an overall amazing experience. And I can't I like I couldn't I could I mean I don't get me wrong, I applied to some PWIs, but you know, that that wasn't where my heart was. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to go to an HBCU to have that overall experience for the culture. Okay, that's that's real good. And uh, let me add a little uh, note to that because the sky is not the limit was one of the things I actually took from the honors program at, at uh, Tennessee State University. I was not in the honors program, but it was gentlemen. Uh, I, you hung I, around I, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got some business over there. But um, yeah. Tom, you know, Thomas hung around everything. He yeah, like floating, just being the area of everything. Yeah, yeah. He ain't I, a part of nothing. He just a part of. He just he just taking all the little the nuggets. That's, that's hey, that's, that's right. Means, God, the sky is not the limit. You know, it's like oh wow, it's not the limit. It's, mm-hmm. it, you can go further. If you want to, yeah. So yeah, I want to throw that one in there because that was actually one of your friends that told me that, and I was like, "Oh, that's deep. I'm, I'm writing that down. I like that." <laughs> <laughs> um. So okay. So it seems like you love your HBCU, and when you left, okay, let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Did you run into any resistance post college after you left when it was time to enter the workforce? How do you feel? Do you feel like 
You were ready to interview. You were ready to get this job. You were going to be, you know, or you were going to start your own business or whatever you want. Do you feel adequately prepared in that sense? I was, especially when it comes to interviewing, I was beyond prepared. When I tell you, you know, going to all those conferences, you know, they they gave us I mean, they had they set up situations like you had mock interviews and things like that. And so and and they weren't just, you know, just bullshit interviews. They were like they wanted to they wanted you to use the star method, but they didn't tell you that. So they wanted to know what you already knew when it came to answering questions and things like that when it comes to um, to the interview. So I, I, I even had one lady tell me um Cause you know, they had a, a misconception of, you know, of me when I first came in, you know, I have a little, I have a little flair with the way I dress. I have a little flair with the way I wear my hair. So mm-hmm. they were probably like, well, we love that. Uh, flair. We you know, it. they, they were probably like, Oh, here come this little ghetto girl, you know, like we, we're going to see, you know, what she do or how, or whatever. But when it came to that interview, when I tell you, I switched up my hair, I switched up my wardrobe. And when I came in there and I executed that star method perfectly, and they the woman literally told me she said you know what she said when I first saw you and I knew that we were going to have to do this interview she was like um I I was a little concerned she said she said because you know of how you had your hair and you know and things like that and I mean people look at everything she must don't listen to any or nothing I don't know you know she she don't she don't I am not my hair come Come on on now. now You know, so um, but yeah, she she flat out told me, you know, to my face that she had this 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 idea of who I was going to be and how I was going to speak and, you know, and, and everything just based on my appearance initially. And but when I, you know, sat down and completed that interview, totally blew her mind because she was like, oh, wow. At Vanderbilt Health, we know it's one thing to know the pulse of our patients. It's another to know the pulse of an entire community. For years, Vanderbilt Health has been a part of Rutherford County, caring for children and adults with treatments, technologies, and services that only we can offer. It's care that's provided by over 1,500 of our employees who call Rutherford County home. We're making healthcare personal. 90 writers, poets, and thinkers, today's most vital and essential voices, came together to make this book possible. 400 Souls is a unique one-volume community history in which a chorus of voices come together to tell one of history's great epics, the 400-year journey of African Americans from 1619 to the present. The writers approach history from various perspectives. 400 Souls by Ibram X. Kendi and Keisha N. Blaine is a number one New York Times bestseller and available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold you know like I, I didn't know that you know that, that I could do it like that you know so I was just like man it's all about being versatile you know what I'm saying like I can be myself and then I know when to turn on and when I need to you know just just perform basically yeah. code switch yeah I, I'm looking right. forward to the day when you can have a girl that looks like Baps walk into a, a corporate office and like but she she's so well together you know it's mm-hmm. like you can't. Yes, her look is extreme, but that's a part of her tactic. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. yeah, yeah, I like this is who I am. But uh, by the way, let's look at the numbers for last quarter. Like, exactly. Oh, snap. <laughs> you know. So I look forward to that day when what you look like is not who you have to be like. You exactly. Know? Um, uh, and I, and I know old folks will tell you this. Even my mentor, he had it what he called his costume, which was a suit and a tie. Mm-hmm. He wore it every single day. Just because it was like that was that was his daily costume. Yeah, it was his presentation so that he would hope, hopefully, the world would not judge him in a negative way. 
And I thought how even him telling me that I was real sad just hearing it. Like I was like, wow. And I, I think it's one of the reasons why I kind of rebelled because you know how I used to dress in college and I kind of rebelled from even where I, I, I came up dressing in college, you know, to like just doing at the most polos and, and jeans because it was like, I, I just feel like it's too much emphasis on how you look. Oh, snap. That's true. I just thought are. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. When I first met Thomas, Thomas used to match his earrings with like his shirt and everything. Like, I remember I first met you was outside of John Henry's. What, far, as far as I can remember, you had like, John a, Henry's. A pink, <laughs> yeah. a pink, a pink, uh, uh, like this like little soft pink dress shirt with a tie with the jeans with the Steve Madden, old school Steve Madden bowling shoes with the pink earrings. And he was nicely like the, the, the haircut was ping, ping, pow. And yeah, like lined up. And it's like, oh snap, he right. Thomas is not like that no more. Yeah, I just, but part of what that oh, changed snap. was just like, as I got that tutelage and mentorship in corporate America for, for preparing for corporate America, it, mm-hmm. I think I was dis, I don't know if you call it disheartened, I was saddened by it. It, it, it just like, disenchanted. Yeah, it disenchanted. That's, thank you, Freddie, for a better word. Freddie, we got words. You know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> you know, like, you know what I'm saying? I was disenchanted by it because it was simply that I was, like I can't believe that this matters so much to people. Right. When right. Who who am? Because you hired me for who I am, and it's interesting when you talk about interviews. How when you go on interviews, I do feel like I was prepared for the interview process as well. I actually don't even know what the star method is. I, I do want you to break that down for us. But right, I, yeah, I, I know that is. But I, I I um I was very prepared for interviews. Matter of fact, to the point where I've had I've gotten jobs where the interview was just like ended so short. It was like one or two questions. It was like I don't even know why we here. Listen, um. We got you. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, all right, this is what we want to put you in. Or sometimes I get elevated just from the rip. Like I was going for this job. And they say, actually, we, we have a, a higher job we want you to do. You know, that's happened to me a couple of times. I've learned how to navigate just being, you know, coming from HBCU. So, okay. So, a lot of boo. What's up? Tell us, star method, just real quick for the people. I just, you yeah. said it twice. So, so, you say it twice. It must be nice. <laughs> so yeah so the star method uh it's, it's it's basically an acronym so it stands for situation um the interviewer wants you to basically present a recent challenging situation where in, in, in which you found yourself so you found yourself in this challenging situation now let's break it down so that's the first thing it's a s stands for situation the t stands for task um so basically what were you required to achieve in this situation um and then we got the a which stands for action what did you do in order to achieve the task at hand and then r what were your results so after you you know did your action for the task what what ended up being the ultimate result so they basically want a full picture and a full story they don't just want you to say oh yeah um that situation happened to me Mm-hmm. And then just leave it at that, you know, yeah. and they're like, okay, so, yeah. so what was the result? What did, you know, like, what did you do when that situation arose? So instead of them, so what they're trying to do they're you know how you can talk to somebody and it's, it's like pulling teeth where you have to constantly baby feed them every single question instead of them just um, to, to get the information instead of them just completing the full story you know without yeah. you having to say okay so Taking what happened initiative? next? yeah we, so so what happened next you know without you having to kind of spoon feed them the questions to get the information that you need they want to see can you basically tell a full story beginning to end breaking down the situation the task the action and the results without them having to insert and ask you know certain questions just to get to get what your end result was in the situation Oh, that's probably why I do good on interviews then, because that's easy for me. Well, you a storyteller, Tom. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, me, t- Thomas and I, we, we're very similar, but I, I wish I knew that 
that acronym to actually compartmentalize it in my head. It always helps yeah. to compart- be able to compartmentalize because I just had an interview not too long ago and that would have been nice to the star method. Star yeah. method. Mm-hmm. Be a star. Shine like a star. Shine bright like a star man. I don't know. Starman. Oh my god. I tried. It didn't work. Three minutes didn't work. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm glad you laid out, you know, that detailed and very and and, and very uh uh insightful um ordeal with an HBCU. I wanna go to uh to the boo thing, as 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 they would say, I don't know if they call it boo things these days, you know, these terms change, but your husband and yes. We'll go formal. My bad. Uh, Mr. Sean Parker, he went yes, to a sir. PWI, everybody, and he always told you guys that. Do you feel that, you know, internet inter- institution, that one, you were going to get the, the tools you needed to succeed in life, and then I guess if you could, similar to a lot of them, break down on the exit, you know, so, so what you got while you were there, but then on your exit, when you got into life, how do you felt when it came time to interview in the whole nine? Uh, so I do feel like uh, uh, my experience at Maryland prepared me uh, for life. And um, going into to Maryland, uh, my experience with um, education, period, uh, had always been integrated, even though I grew up uh, in a black uh, neighborhood um, in, in, uh, in Glen Arden, uh, Maryland. They weren't selling uh, no drugs, though, was they? No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, no. But I, I just I, I grew up in a, a black. I l- would l- say a little bit, a little bit more middle class. Yeah, I would say it's a, it was a lower middle class uh, neighborhood uh, that I grew up in, and uh, I see. I okay. So from the other podcast, I was the I was the old guy. So I'll continue to be the old guy. Um, in that I started school. Be who you want to start- be, Sean. We love you here, baby. Well, no, no. Well, I'm, just, I'm just set, I'm setting it up because because uh, I started uh, school seven years after the um, Supreme Court um, handed down a decision that reinforced uh, segregation and uh, uh, integrated busing. So um, I was about to say I, Brown versus the Board of Education. No, nah, not, uh, not quite that. That's far the one that Kamala Harris was talking about. The integrated yeah, bus, right? When she mm-hmm. was uh, arguing with Joe Biden on the uh, campaign trail. Yeah, because Kamala's about Kamala's uh, seven or eight years older than me. Um, so, uh, so she was, you know, at the forefront of that. But um, I, so I was bused out of my neighborhood uh, to go to um, uh, go to a, a elementary school outside of where I should have gone. Because I should have gone to Glen Arden Woods with all the black oh, that kids. Was, uh, side note, that was Brown versus Board of Education, according to Wikipedia. Desegregated busing. Well, that, yes, that was, yeah, but then in 1971, there was another Supreme Oh, that's Court Sean versus that uh, Charlotte. It. Yep, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Um, so uh, I was bused out of Glen Arden to another uh, area to go to elementary school and then another area to go to middle school and then i ended up going to a magnet high school which was in a black neighborhood but um they turned it into a magnet high school so now you had uh you know kids of all nationalities going to that high school so i always had the integrated uh experience so i really did it wasn't a conscious thought of mine when i was looking for colleges to you know um you know, to look for an HBCU, all of the schools that I applied to were all PWIs, uh, ended up going to the one that was close to home 
uh, to the University of Maryland. And I really do feel like, because I went to University of Maryland for journalism, and uh, at the time, and as a matter of fact, it still does, um, have a reputation as one of the best uh, journalism uh, schools in the country. And so I you know, wanted to do that because the University of Maryland was close. Um, it had that great journalism school, had so many uh, internship opportunities uh, in and around the D.C. area, ended up having an internship opportunity at one of the local uh, TV stations. Uh, so I really did feel prepared to go out. Now, ultimately, I decided uh, not to pursue um, a journalism career when I got out of college for, uh, you know, for different reasons. But uh, but they definitely prepared me. Uh, I, I felt from the classroom to the internship to all of the social interactions that I had, um, you know, I really felt like I was ready uh, to go out into the world. Uh, and it served me well. Um, now, I will also throw out here that uh, I was one of those people that believed in that stereotype that Alana alluded to earlier that, um, you know, HBCUs don't prepare you for the real world. I, I was a firm believer of that for years. Um, but I have I've come around, um, you know, in the last uh, 10 years. And I really understand and see the value um, of HBCUs because I honestly I didn't think of them on equal footing with uh, PWIs. I, I didn't. Um, but why is, what, what, what was the I was going to ask you, what was the catalyst behind that? Like what made you what, what put that in your mind that they were not on equal footing? You know what? I think I just I, I, I just think I just bought into the stereotype. There was no nobody was really feeding me that um, because I was the I was the first person in my family to, to go to college. Um, so I didn't got you. Got that you. wasn't. Yeah, I, I think I was. I think I just fed into uh, into the stereotype the propaganda. And, exactly. I fed into that. So um, I was like, OK, well, you know, hey, going to this white school, University of Maryland. Cool. I, you know, um, white is I, right, baby. But at the, but uh, but you know I came around to the fact at the end of the day that um, it's an institution of higher learning, uh, and if you get uh, a higher education, if you get a higher and better understanding of the world that we live in today, that it doesn't matter what the name of the school is, um, you know it just matters about the quality of the education that you get. Um, so, you know, if I, if I were to go back and do it all over again, I'm not saying that I wouldn't pick Maryland, but I wouldn't exclude the HBCUs, um, from my selection process. That's good news. That's real good news. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting and telling that, um, you know, we are talking about schools of higher learning. We're talking about second post, I think it called post-secondary school, right? This is after you have left high school. We're talking about going to some college or some university and on some level is 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 and maybe I'll be wrong in saying this and I'm going to throw this to Freddie B in a second here. But at some level, if they're accredited, they're accredited, period, Mm -hmm. period, black, white, Mexican, don't matter. It's accredited It's on some level. (laughs) Now, I I I think the experience you get from a particular institution is partially uh, not just the, the 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 role of the institution itself, but it's the role of the individual student and, and what they decide to get out of their experience. And I'm going to throw this to Freddie B because this is one of the, the topics that 
I think he can really speak toward as far as going to HBCU himself and, and being a student uh, there for um, actually. So Freddie B has a unique situation where he he came early, earlier than most students would come to a college. And he left later than most scooters would leave a college. So he, I think, can speak to Freddie B. And I think you just tell us, you know, to to the experience of you kind of getting something from your institution. And so, Freddie B, what what would you say? Is it is it about going to HBCU or PWI or is it more about the experience that you choose to get? Um, I think I think with colleges, that's that's a big part of it. The experience that you go in and get, you know, people have different experiences. Obviously, you know, if you make an anecdotal. Um, people will say different things, but it's also what you get out of it. Um, to to your point, um, I think that that really I had a tale of two college careers. Um, to to your point of 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 what you said, because I got to college when I was sixteen, and so prior to that, um, I went to different schools. Period, and I, went, I remember I went to Cedar Grove High in Ellenwood, which was all black. I think we had maybe four or five white kids in the whole school. Not in my high school. Um, yeah, and so you know, if you you're on the east side of Atlanta in in Decatur, Ellenwood, you know Stone Mountain in that area, you know you'll find a lot of black people from the the hood all the way up to the middle class where um, Thomas grew up um, yeah. with Stevenson. But um, but I mean, but even before that, I went to a high school. Um, I went I went to um went to a middle school where I was in the M to M program. Atlanta had an M to M program. It was called uh, Minority to Majority, where they were because Fulton County is very very long. It's not wide, but it's very long. And, and so and, South and it's County. silly. Whoever drew the lines from county is selfish. Yeah, it's, it's 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 totally silly. Like you see the county, it's like long as hell, but it's super skinny. You can drive east west through Fulton County in like twenty minutes, but north south it'll take you like probably hour and a half two hours. But South Fulton County is black. North Fulton County is white, so I would, you know, we would get bused to North Fulton County. I remember, man, I had to wake up before the sun come up. Like I would leave to go to school maybe like six thirty in the morning. I wouldn't get back to like six p.m. to go to school, and it would be like multiple buses. It was almost like taking a flight. I had a layover at one high school to catch another bus to go home. It was crazy. Um, so you understand so, Sean's experience, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, by the time I got to college, college, like me when I applied, I applied to a whole bunch of like I applied to some of the like you, you, like if you if you would if you heard the colleges I applied to, it'd be like, how do all those even match, Freddie? But it was more so of a situation where you know, like I said, I was two grades ahead of myself, so I was always smaller and younger and shorter than all the other kids. So I got bullied like a lot all through school, all the way till I got to college. So school was just I'm just trying to get in, get out, and not get beat up. <laughs> that was that was it. I got bullied by white kids, black kids, Asian, you know, any kid that you could think of. I got bullied by. And all different types of bullying, you know, from getting punched in the stomach, in the face and slapped upside the head to gumming my shirt, gumming my hair, all that. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like all the stories I got, like a lot of kids kill themselves over. Um, yeah. But I'm here. I'm here. You know, it is what it is. So when I got to college, it was just like I was just applying to schools like I ain't really care, to be honest with you. And then my mom said, you don't want to be in debt. Take this one that's giving you full scholarship. I'm like, oh, which one is that? I even know all the ones I even got scholarships with to my mom. My mom had to lay it out for me. Like, I was like, oh, OK, well, I go to this one. End up going to Tennessee State. So when I went, I had no thought of HBCU and PWI with any of that, man. I could, you know, I could honestly care less. I kind of knew because my, my mom and my dad went to Morris Brown, uh, uh, HBCU in Atlanta. Man, rest in peace. And my mom. But resurrected. Yeah. Resurrected. But rest they, in peace. Yeah, they're coming, they coming back. Yeah. They're coming back. And then my mom, she went to Tennessee State as well. She had transferred to Tennessee State. Um, as well, another HBCU. But I didn't know the the level of it because my 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 parents didn't really just really push it on me like that they was just like you know he's smart 
He graduated two grades ahead of himself. He make straight A's. Like you know, just you know, they 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 were they were looking at the future. Like, oh, he gonna graduate college. He's twenty. Like, oh, he ain't gonna be able to drink. And he can graduate college. Like they they off in that future like that. So, but when I got to college, when I first got there, I didn't make the most of it. I was young and I was just still treating it like it was um, secondary school. But as I got there, I started to learn and meet people and 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 be in that ecosystem to where I changed my major, sat out a semester. You know, I, mean, I wasn't I wasn't prepared to go to college, basically. Um, but then I got prepared while I was there. And, and then that's why I was there for the length of time I was there. And so then I ended up getting into communications and starting Freddie B TV. And then I then I start understanding college and how to get the most out of my experience. And so I start making money and building connects and building a, a community and 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 building stuff around me to where I knew people a network actually like building and using what it was for. Got an internship and all that. And so looking back on it now, that's why I take the stance that I, st- I take now with school and HBCUs and understanding the, the economics with colleges and how they work to what Sean said earlier about athletics. And you understand, like, that's the main pipeline for money into schools. Like, you have boosters and you have uh, alumni and alumnus overall that give back, but that main one is athletics. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, you understand all that money going back into school. And, and me, what I would say, what if I had children, and what I would say with anybody is, you know, undergrad, go to HBCU, and grad, go to a PWI. So you can, you know, because I do understand, I do, you know, I do understand the name cachet that comes with, like, oh, you're a Michigan man, you're an Ohio State man, you went to Alabama, you go on to places, and they see that, oh, you went to Ohio State, and a hiring manager went to Ohio State. Like, you, that's, 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 you put that in the bag. You know, stuff like that happen, and then you understand that environment, but that undergrad, you go to HBC, you build that foundation. That's why Thomas, myself, Alana, we can we can go back to homecoming every year. Like every year we go back to homecoming. It's a family reunion. We go back. We see all our friends. We see our circle. We see our crew. We hitting them up. Like you on a homecoming, we get back and, and we could just be our black ass self to where like you know, black Alana ass want to work. <laughs> right. You know, Alana Boo was talking about uh, code switching earlier. You know, she, you, you, as a black person, you got to do that. You can't just talk regular and just be talking because white people take it as aggression. They take it as fear. They get scared. They scared something might happen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you thinking like, I'm not doing nothing. I'm just here. I'm just, you know, I'm just talking. I'm just, I'm just doing what I, what was natural in that moment. But they get, they, they read into a lot of stuff that black people do unnecessarily. And it's like, white people do the same thing. White people do a lot of the same stuff that black people do, but you just read into it because I'm black. My skin is dark. So we, we go back to homecoming, like to, like I said, to what Alana said earlier, she can, it's not about she black no more. She go back to homecoming, it's just she Alana. And, and that, and that's so confident to black people when you could just be Freddie, you could just be Thomas, you could just be Alana, you could just be who you are. And that's what people expect. And people ain't reading into what they read into is because they know you and and they're not reading extra into what you're doing. And mm-hmm. you got that foundation. Like you go to PWI, PWI, they don't go back to homecoming. It's like you go to homecoming, you in school. Once you graduate, you gone. That's it. But we go to HBCU. We got that foundation. We got that family, that family nature. So, I mean, like I said, that's what I would say. Undergrad, HBCU, grad, PWI, you get the best of both worlds. But while you at HBCU, it definitely prepares you mm-hmm. because you know, you should get, you should get internships. I mean, because the, cause the yeah. world is white. You know, the world is white. It's not like you go to HBC and you just encapsulate it in this totally black situation and you don't never see nobody white. You never around nobody white. Right. The world is white. So when you there and, you know, you should be getting internships and different jobs to, you know, and you'll be in those environments and you'll learn that because you should be doing the same thing at PWIs. You know, mm-hmm. if you're not doing it at PWIs, you short selling yourself. So if you're not doing it at HBCU, you short selling yourself 
regardless. But when that black person go to HBCU, they can they have that that time of their life where they can feel safe, and then they build that foundation where every year for a weekend at least they can go back to some place and have a, a respite from the world whooping your ass nonstop when you gotta form and conform and change your hair like with the, with the gorilla glue, glue girl. She that would have never happened if she just able to. You know, wear her hair how she how it grow out her head and just and, and you know and and just keep it kept and just go somewhere. You can't do that. It's like you got to straighten it. You got to do this. Thing. I got fired from Nine West because because I had an afro because she was like your hair need to be down. It don't you can't you can't have it like that at work. I was like well, this is how my hair grow. Right. But I, got, but I got fired. She ended up firing me from Nine West. Nine West. Nine West fired me for that. Three times. You know it's a nine, nine. nine white. <laughs> Thomas is a pimp. I don't know if y'all knew this. Thomas was a pimp in his former life. <laughs> Thomas had holes all the way down the strip in his former life. He was making hella money. I don't know if y'all knew that. But um, but yeah, you know, but but that that's just me as a black male. But you know, like it's a lot of black women go through that nonstop. They gotta they gotta do their hair constantly. And then turn right onto Rocky Road. Merge onto Bumpy Boulevard. Turn left onto Obstacle Court. Seems like the only road we never travel is Easy Street. But wherever life takes you, Direct Auto has you covered. With down payments as low as $35 and helpful agents in 450 locations, you can navigate every turn with confidence. Get a quote today at directauto.com and keep driving. Rates, pay plans, and availability vary. Lower down payment is not savings. Terms apply. How you buy can affect price. National General Group wins to North Carolina. And they, then they sometimes got to resort to wearing goofy wigs and then messing with edges out and, and all this other type of stuff to where they, they got to do all this unnatural stuff to their head. But, you know, it feel good to go to a school where you can just be your name, who you are as a person. And you are judged and what she said, teachers saying stuff. And you ain't, you ain't like, hold on, wait, what that mean? Like, you know, we all niggas here. We all black here. Like, it ain't none of that. I can right. just, off the content of my character, move around. And that's refreshing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's interesting. And I think that is, that, and, it, and it begs to ask the question then, Sean, did you ever feel like you had to be someone other than you were at the, at your school? No, because I was, you know, honestly, I, you know, I was still trying to find out who I was. Um, but no, the because of the, you know, the the people that I roll with, no, I, I never had to be anybody other than myself. You know, I was just a younger version of who I am now. The, you know, spitting stats and you know anybody wanted to know oh something, they wanted to know something. It's like, oh, go go ask Sheik. Sheik will know what, what's going on. <laughs> you know, that was go ask who. That was your nickname. Sheik. My nickname in college was Sheik. Oh yes. yeah. Okay, so y'all did that. And I was going to say that because I, because you know, both Alana and Freddie B both talked about being able to be who they are in their skin, yeah. and and I agree with both of them on that. But I also remember Alana was Alana Boo. You know, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Freddie B is Freddie B. We don't know, like people don't know his last name for real. Like I, I can name, I can name probably five people I think who can guess his actual last name from college. You know, like me, T Stapes. That was T Stapes or Tommy T. Like majority of school, there's very few people who are like Thomas. You know, but so so it's good that you got that little bit of that love and that character from your PWI. That you so you said they were chic. They said they, they call you chic. Yeah, every everybody. Why? Is, so every okay. So yeah, why, why, why did give you that? Yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Why did give you that nickname? Freshman year, everybody on my floor um, started getting nicknames, and so the the two guys on my floor that was they they were kind of the leaders of my floor. These uh, two white guys, and their nicknames were Hugh and Hef. For you know Hugh Hefner, mm-hmm, Playboy, mm-hmm. because they oh, always yeah. they always had <laughs> girls in their room, so they were Hugh and Hef, and so everybody on the floor got nicknames, and I was the last person on the floor 
that didn't have a nickname. It's because you were so, black. It's because you were black. No, no, well, there, okay. were, no there were two exactly. other. See how we, <laughs> see, see how we <laughs> instantly <laughs> jumped on that? We're like, it's because you're black. <laughs> there were two other black guys on the floor. Both of them had nicknames. It was just they couldn't really peg, you know, because you, know, you, you normally you got your nickname from doing something or, you know, looking a certain way. And they, they, they probably saw you was like, hey, your nickname going to be Nick. Not, not, okay, shh. Well, first, he, don't say that. You can't say that word. Well, first of all, when I first <laughs> of all, before I get to the nickname, first of all, when I was um, when they assigned me a room in the dorm, I lived in a quad my first um, year in the dorm. Now, for, for the people who don't know the quad is, the quad is a four person, right? Yeah, a four person room. So it was, okay. just, it was a room and it had, it had you know, two. We couldn't afford quads. We couldn't afford quads. It was two doubles inside of one big room. So um, I got put in a room. You and Thomas are twins, I promise. I got, I got put in a room with three Asian guys. And I was trying to figure out why I got put in the room with three Asian guys that, and they were the stereotypical Asian guys, like going to the library on Friday night and studying and watching Japanese anime, you know, that anime porn and whatnot. They did all of that. So I'm trying to figure out why they did that. Why, why they put me in that room. <laughs> oh my God. And I, and I think what happened was somebody looked at the list of names because my last name is Parker. They left the ER off the off my last name and said Sean Park. Okay, well let me let's let's go ahead and throw him in there with the rest of the Asians and have an Asian quad. Like I to this day, I really believe that's what happened. But anyway, so um one day a bunch of us went to Gowsing fried chicken fried, right? It was racial. Pretty much. <laughs> so a bunch of us went to a football game um, at stadium. We're sitting there. We're in the student section. It was September, but it was still hot. It was like 90 degrees. It was hot. So I put I, I grabbed a, a towel and I put the towel around my head and I, I put a um, rubber band around it. And I have my sunglasses on. So I'm sitting there. So Hugh and Heff are probably sitting about 10 rows up from me. And they yelled down, Sean. And I turned around and looked up at him. And Hugh looked at me and snapped his fingers and went, Sheik, that's your nickname. And everybody in the section was like, yeah, Sheik. And to this day, everybody else's nicknames fell to the wayside. People I know from college still call me Sheik when they talk to me. So mm. mine was the last nickname. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, they didn't want to hold on to Hugh and Hef. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they didn't want to go into the corporate America right. with that. <laughs> they, 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 especially, especially now, like when you said <laughs> Hugh and Hef, I was like, oh my god, I know they got they yeah. they don't, they want to bury that. Right. You know, they got some stories. Hey, hey, probably, just, they lose all. They just call me job. Chris. Just call me Chris, please. please. Uh, well, yeah, I got some, I got some stories off, you know, off mic that I could tell y'all. It's crazy. Yeah, my that's funny. So yeah. Yeah, I, uh, and so you know, it's not all it's not all uh, uh, flowers and sunshine, people. You know, there, there are uh, other stories out there uh, of, of about the different institutions. I think it's colleges in general. I think one of the things that uh, I think I was let down with in, in my college is when it was time for me to make that shift. Uh, when I mentally figured out that you know I no longer want to be in the degree path I wanted to be in, I started reaching out to teachers and the path of the degree I wanted to be in, and I wasn't really getting that acceptance or that pull in to like, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to do this, this and that. And though there were things that I could have done to further my education and to, uh, to, to, to change my major and, and move along in the degree path I was more interested in, I just kind of felt like I was let down by my university in that area because it was like, I was like, what do I do? How do I do it? Mind you, I knew Alana Boo. I could have just been like, hey, Alana, what you do? How you change your stuff up? <laughs> I literally could have done that. I just never did. So it is, I think it is a part of this experience, the experience you get in college is 
at your own uh at your, at your own helm there you must take the reins and, and and make your experience your own but mm-hmm. i also think that not all universities are is no there's no such thing as perfect right right and so you can't expect all the because we give y'all the sunshine you know the the, the, the hearts the stars the, the horseshoes the clovers and blue moons here and you know so i want y'all to realize that it's not all good but you have to make sure that you take your education seriously and you must, you must take your path, your trajectory seriously as well. You know, your path is, even if things change, I was always told the college was a sparring ground. I use college like that. I use college to really spar for life. Like, okay, let me, Oh, okay. This is what I really like. I like this. Now I don't like that. Let me try this. Let me do this. I really sparred in college and I really discovered who I was, who I, who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go while I was in college. So when I stopped going to college, when I left college, it was just easy for me to hop into my career. Actually, I was already really in my career in college. Yeah, you, you know, were. a lot of people say like, man, you was already doing stuff in college. You know, you did probate videos. You worked for this group, that group. You know what I mean? Then uh, me and Freddie B linked up. We worked on his show. I mean, I, it's funny. I can I can name to you maybe five or six shows that I worked on in some capacity in college, you know. And so. Uh, the fact that I actually went out and, and started working professionally in the television industry is, is just by no mistake. And in production in general, you know, all the stuff I've done in production, period, and entertainment. So I think I think college is a great sparring. You have to make sure that you define what your trajectory is going to be and what you want to get out of it. Because if you don't, you will, you could walk. There's a lot of people who like lost souls in college. You know, I, it's one guy I'm thinking of. I, I wish I could name names. I wish I could have got permission to name his name. But it's one dude I know went to college for 21 years. And uh, he's I, I can tell people people from Tennessee State I know who he is. He had a pocket protector with pins in it. And uh Oh snap. So as soon as I say that, everybody gonna know. <laughs> but you know we, he we, we 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 can't we can't say his name? I don't know if we can, but I, I just feel bad if a dude because the brother graduated he did graduate. It took him a while. Yeah, I know. I remember he I remember you talking Barry. His name Barry. Mm-hmm. Brother Barry, actually, is what we used to call him. Oh, bro- okay. <laughs> brother, okay. Yeah. I, remember, I remember when he told me his name. It was like, oh, B, like B. Scott. Both of your name Barry. Oh, snap. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, brother Barry. Uh, he he went to school for many, many years, and he finally graduated. And it was a big deal. And he was very, you could tell he was a smart guy. But he had taken so many classes. Oh my God! I like I, I'm like I want to know what his official uh like his credit hours were at the end. Like, I know it's in the five hundreds. It gotta be, gotta be. <laughs> he took so many different classes, and um. But so so you don't want to be I mean, not nothing wrong with, you know, what he did. I just think that that was that's a lot. Of, that's I mean, I don't I can't imagine what his student loans look like. That's all I'm going to say, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, ooh, that's just, right. It was like how he pay for all that. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure out. I've been trying to figure that out. <laughs> I know he's I know he's real happy that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are president and vice president right now. He's, he's hoping for that. That student loan relief package to come along. I, I'm pretty sure he's first in line. He's like, hey, hey, be first. Be first, please. So anyway, but you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. And then on the on the PWI side, you know, I noticed things that, you know, like for example, I've I've talked to people who go to PWIs who they talk about almost getting lost in the sauce, um, where um, you know, I've got friends from uh, University of Tennessee Knoxville, and it was like the black the black corner was just our corner, like it was just, it's a small corner, it's like almost thirty thousand kids at that school, so it's not it's not even it's it's probably like a thousand fifteen hundred black folks, you know what I'm saying? So they become like they have like they basically they black coalition. You know, and it's just be like them, <laughs> like, you know, they kind of feel like they in a world, a sea of white, basically. When yeah. I was at Maryland, um, the all of the the only uh, fraternities and sororities on campus that did not have a house on fraternity row were the black ones. 
that, the black yep. fraternities and sororities at Maryland, they had offices in the student union, but that was it. And that's like that at most PWIs. As a matter of fact, it, even at even at PWIs where they have a house, a lot of times the house is shared. It's like this is the yeah, I was gonna say Vanderbilt. The they got yeah. <laughs> Vanderbilt. They got all of the divine nine on the on the front the facade of the house. Yeah, they, they share all share one house. Yeah, yeah. So so and, and then and then oh wait, on top of that, it's not even as big as the other just houses that just got one the one fraternity and sorority. Right, it's smaller than the other houses. Right. And so there's there are some things that are not as shiny, right? That we that we're not talking about here on this podcast today. But in all in all, I don't think that based on our conversation today, it sounds like that there is not a big separation or difference in PWIs and HBCUs other than uh the the, the makeup of the school, right? And right. You, you you get prepared at both, but there seems like that feeling of being able to feel comfortable being oneself is more prominent at HBCUs where you can just go and be and exist. Right. And I think that's one thing that's a rare feeling to have in America, at least for African-Americans, because so often we have to conform to or or or, or perform for in, in a sense of um, like Freddie B and Lana talked about code switch uh, in, in, the, in the workplace, in the office, out at, out at Walmart, wherever. Where when you when you go to an HBCU, especially if you stay on campus, it's almost like you enter a, a Wakanda. It's like many Wakandas at a lot of these HBCUs. You know, like Southern University, Tennessee State University, FAMU, uh, South Carolina State. I can name those specifically places that I've visited those campuses. I'm pretty sure Howard and others, but I'm just saying places I specifically have visited where you enter their campus and Southern doesn't feel no different than Tennessee State. Doesn't feel no different than FAMU other than the colors. That's right. it. They got different school colors. That's it. And a different mascot. I don't like snakes, so I don't mess with FAMU. But you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, <clears throat> um, but most most places you go, it kind of feels like, not to say it feels like home, but like I said at the beginning of this episode, I kind of felt homesick. And when I was searching for my Internet Never Lost click, clip, it just felt like going home to watch that, to, to hear black folks talk about black folks, uh, these issues that need to be resolved. And, and it just felt like I was like coming home, listening to mama and daddy talk, you know, like, oh, okay, what's, what's going on? Oh, dang, something going on with cousin for real. You know, where we did not have to censor ourselves uh, or, or, or change how we looked and, and change how we, how we existed in, in the, in the room so that we could feel comfortable. Right. And I think that's the big thing that the big takeaway though here is that no matter what school you decide to go to, you know, the, 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 the choice is yours and yours alone, but you must remember that you also have to choose your path. You have to kind of um, you have to make sure that you have a focus while you are there and you might try to get something out of experience. Freddie B mentioned me going and being a part of multiple uh, organizations while I was in school. Listen, I was in marching band. I participated in society of civil engineering. I was in I was in 100 black men. I was in uh, generation educated men. I, I messed with the honors group. I was like, listen, I, I jumped in all the circles. I was trying to figure out what everybody was doing. Like, okay, what are we doing over here? Oh, wow. I, I was with the TSU radio. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had I had a ball, and I really got a lot from it. And one of the things that I took away from- A lot of money from it. That's what he really means, y'all. I did. I actually got paid by the, uh, by the university at one point in time. They hired me mm-hmm. to work for them mm-hmm. at one point in time. And- um. And in multiple capacities, you know, I, one time me and Lana did some stuff. Then I went to work for the agriculture department, which was like totally left field to everything I do. And I, I really tried to get the most out of my experience. But I will say the biggest thing that I got from being at the HBCU is the connections. Mm-hmm. The people who I've connected to have allowed me to move through life so smoothly. You know what I mean? Like 
even from jobs that I've gotten, um, places that I've gone. The first, I think the first big gig I worked on, I think, was I a sophomore Freddie B? And see, I always get confused, like, on who it was. It was Doug, if I talked to Freddie B and Doug, uh, two of my friends from Tennessee State, and I can never figure out which one of them gave me the call for the Stella Awards. But they both was working, before, they were both working the Stella Awards. I guess y'all was working, like, the year before me or something. Y'all had already worked. No, no, no. It was, um, I was working, and then um, the next year, some people didn't come back. And then they was asking everybody, like, yo, we need some people to come on. Right. So you was already there that year before. I hit up. Right. Yeah, I hit up you and Doug to come on. Oh, so Freddie B was there. Freddie B hit us up. I was like, come on up here. We can clown, nigga, do this. So then when Doug tell him, he was like, no, I called Thomas. That was me. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, who? Now I forget. So y'all going to have to work this out. Doug don't call nobody, nigga. Doug. Doug ain't calling nobody, man. Oh, okay. I see. I see. But yeah, so, you know, even that first gig as a sophomore, I want y'all to understand as a sophomore, I got to be on the set of a big production, you know, and, and actually we we kicked it too. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, we was tripping out. We was tripping out. Met Gabrielle Union. I made my ex girlfriend jealous when I met Gabrielle mm-hmm. Union. She that's like she stopped talking to me and she saw that picture. She was like, oh, "You met her?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that's her right there. You see it? Mm-hmm. We kiki in." <laughs> and she was single at that time. I should have hollered at Gabby, but you know, I ain't gonna talk about that because she already got a man. She married. But anyway, but um. You know, so, you know, I got a lot from my HBCU. So would I have had that same experience at a PWI? That's, I can't really tell you. Because it's something that's magical about being around your own folks. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like, uh, like Tiffany Haddish calls herself the black unicorn. It's something magical about that black experience. You know, being around all the black women. The, you know, the black men trying to come up. You know, making friends and camaraderie. People I'm still friends with today. I, I trade stocks with a bunch of people from the same school I went to, Tennessee State University. We got a tra- we got a stock trading group, and we just trade stocks together. You know what I mean? Like just making money together, having fun. You know, so I, it's kind of hard to say where I would be had I went to uh, Georgia Tech or any other schools I applied to. Uh, and I put this out since everybody else talked about the schools they applied to. I put this. I, I actually applied to two schools, and the only one that I applied to and paid a fee for was Georgia Tech. The other one I applied to was Tennessee State. So what happened was I had scholarships to go to almost every black HBCU in the southeast. So from FAMU, Alabama State, Tuskegee, South Carolina State, Morris, uh, Morris Brown, it, uh, any of the black schools in the south. I had I had got a scholarship because I played. I was in the marching band, but I was also in classical. I played symphonic band as well. So I had auditioned for all these schools. Tennessee State just paid the most. So, of course, in order to accept that scholarship, I had to apply for the school. So that's how that's how it ended up being two schools I applied for. So if you must know, that's my story. And that's what got me to Tennessee State. They paid the most money to me. So I was like, all right, cool. They paying the most. I'm going there. And uh, that was it. It wasn't quite like Freddie B. where I was totally uh, not knowing of the situation. I knew HBCUs were important to our community. And my mom and dad both went to Alabama State. So I, I knew there was an importance to, of HBCUs to our community. It was for me more or less a business a business proposition you know it's like okay who 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 paying the most though mm-hmm. <laughs> well listen man this is whoo this will be good i'm glad we we got this 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 episode out so okay let me get the final verdict from everybody y'all got my final verdict a lot of what's your final verdict pwi hbcu um although both are capable of producing uh successful black citizens with positive contributions to society i'm gonna have to go with an hbcu sean parker pwi or hbcus wow because uh I mean, I in my <laughs> mind, in, in my mind, I want to call it a tie. But you know what? Uh, uh, you know, my in my old age, I think I'm actually going to lean HBCU. Wow! Ooh. 
Okay, that's good. That's good. We like you know. Sean has come home. I said, come on home, Sean. Come on home. We love you over here, Sean. We love you. Freddie B, last but not least, least, not last. What do you say? PWI uh, I'm gonna say HBCU. I'm gonna say unequivocally uh HBCU and then you know, grad school, then you know, hit the PWI. Okay, all right. I like that. You you like a little a little, little mix there. A little collegiate jungle fever, if you will. Yeah, you know, you know, undergrad, you don't, you don't get the experience, you don't get the foundation. Grad school, like you know, it, it don't make sense to you know, because like what we said, we know the the funding. So you know, grad school, get the name, you know, go 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 get why you should go to a PWI, get the money, get the name, so you can have it, but you got the foundation at home. That's good. Listen, y'all, this has been a, a, a good episode. I hope y'all enjoy what you heard and, and take away some nuggets here and go look into uh, land grant institutions. If you if you want, if you want to do, do some more research, it's, it's a great. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. Because um, I didn't know that. Oh, you, oh, you didn't know. You didn't know about the. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know. The, I didn't know the terms like, you know, when you start could we do pre-production and you said the 18, what, 1890 and 1862. Yes. Yes. The land grant. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't. I didn't know. the. I didn't know the terms. I mean, I knew the general stuff, but the terms is is, you know, where you get that specific information to really paint the picture for you and what i'll do is i'll, I'll put a link in our uh, description below for the uh, uh, association of public and land-grant universities uh policy brief so that you guys could read into uh a little bit of the history on on how these institutions came about and what what they're supposed to be getting from the government you know not just land another word land grant right is in the title land but it's also financial matches of money they raise and we need to make sure that these schools are funded equally so that everybody has equal opportunity no matter what school you go to pwis or hbcus that's another good one i I didn't really think of it like that land grant it's in the name you get land and you get a grant yeah so it's in the it's in the name grant so we got to make sure that everybody's getting their money you know so uh, I, I hope everyone's found this episode to be educational and a little bit of a joy to listen to, or a lot of a joy. Uh, it seems we had way too many feelings about this topic, though. T is for Tennessee. S S T U University. T S U A. So right. Send us a message. Our handles are in the description below. Let us know how you feel about PWIs and HBCUs. We'd love to hear your feedback. This has been a good one, y'all. I've been here with. She main man's Freddie B represent the Tennessee State University. All right, the land of golden sunshine. Right. I love that. And who else we have? It's your girl Lana Boo. Make sure you go to a HBCU. That's right. Oh, I see you. I see you, Kimbo. Booyah! <laughs> she does it again. And, and who else we have with you, Sean, Lana? Right, We've got Sean William Parker, the main event voice. Representing the University of Maryland, raise high to black and gold. All right, that was black and gold. Too <laughs> cold, too so cold. PWI. Black and gold. <laughs> too hot, too cold. The black and gold. Too cold, too cold. <laughs> and I'm yours truly, T Staples. And make sure you catch us next time when we have too many feelings. Peace. Vanderbilt Health, we know it's one thing to know the pulse of our patients. It's another to know the pulse of an entire community. For years, Vanderbilt Health has been a part of Rutherford County, caring for children and adults with treatments, technologies, and services 
that only we can offer. It's care that's provided by over 1,500 of our employees who call Rutherford County home. We're making healthcare personal. The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft Tells. Welcome to the House of Roll.